All right, everybody, it's me, George Becknell, and I'm back with another episode of the Highly Opinionated Podcast. Man, we got some stuff to talk about. First things first, Tom Brady, the GOAT. Where does he play next year? Not New England. What do the Washington Redskins do with the second overall pick in the draft? Can the New Orleans Pelicans make the playoffs? We're going to talk a little bit about LSU hoops, and we're going to talk about my New Orleans Saints. All that right after this. everybody it's me it's george becknell and i'm back with another episode of the highly opinionated podcast where i am highly opinionated on these sports topics and the first things first man we we got to talk about what's going on in foxborough you know there's reports coming out of the new england headquarters that tom brady is not only open to signing with another football team but expected to sign with a team that's not the patriots you know, it, it wasn't surprising that he was open to test the market, but the fact that he's expected to go elsewhere is a big deal. Um, in my personal opinion, there are a few places that he fits well in, um, but the national media makes it seem like he's pretty much a lock to go to the L.A. Chargers or to the uh, Tennessee Titans. Um, and I don't think those are bad fits, you know. I like what Anthony Lynn is able to do in Los Angeles. Last year was a bit of a, you know, underachieving year for them. But they're, they're a very good football team, in my opinion. They have a good defense. There's weapons on offense. Um, I think Phillip Rivers is just at the end of his career. And maybe Tom Brady can give them a year or two of some good quarterback play and get them back to where they need to be. Um, so that's an option. Tennessee Titans. You know, they were a game away from the Super Bowl. You know, the big question is, are they going to bring back Ryan Tannehill or not? Ryan Tannehill replaced Marcus Mariota in the starting lineup and played some very, very good football. He was able to maximize on the play-action pass because Derrick Henry was a beast running the football, and they were able to be successful with that the, the second half of the season and win some good games and get all the way to the AFC title game with that. Um, in my opinion... You know, you got a good defense. You got a good running game. I'd rather have Tom Brady than Ryan Tannehill. I don't think Ryan Tannehill is going to be the long-term option in Tennessee. Uh, Obviously, he's a lot younger than Tom Brady. But if he's not the long-term option, why not bring quite possibly the greatest quarterback to ever play to your football team and actually have an opportunity to make another run at it and get over that hump? Um, So... Those are the two landing spots I'm hearing from the national media. You know, Tom Brady's an AFC guy. He's been in the AFC his whole career with the Patriots. It makes sense. But there's two spots that I think make the most sense, right? And they're two NFC teams. Number one, 
the Dallas Cowboys. Now look, I would be disgusted with hearing all the expectations of the Dallas Cowboys because we hear it every year, right? The, oh, this is the Dallas Cowboys' year. Every year. They got five. They're waiting on six. It's been the same story for like 25 years, right? But can you imagine the narrative if Tom Brady goes there? So it'll be thoroughly aggravating. But if you really think about it, it makes sense. Dak Prescott is a free agent. They haven't signed Dak to a long-term deal. They signed Ezekiel Elliott last offseason with two years left on his contract but refused to sign Dak, and Dak's contract is up. So everybody's saying they hope to get a long-term deal for Dak, but what that tells me in Dallas that they don't believe in Dak Prescott as their starting quarterback as their future. Because if they did, they'd have a deal in place and they wouldn't let him hit the, the free market, right? So you got a roster. And in my opinion, the Cowboys have been underachieving for the last couple of years because if you look at that team, that team is well built. You got a solid defense. You know, they stopped, they, they solid up front. They stopped the run. They're okay against the pass. They have probably the best offensive line in football. You got... Amara Cooper, who's a stud at wide receiver. You got Gallup, who's a young talent. Then you got Randall Cobb, who's been around. He's a savvy veteran, but he can play well in that slot. So you have a very good receiving core, very good offensive line. And then you probably got the best running back in football in Ezekiel Elliott, right? So what's been the narrative coming out of New England? You know, it's, it's been one of two things. It's been either Tom Brady's completely washed out, washed up, or Tom Brady has no weapons. I think it's more of the latter. I think Tom Brady didn't have any weapons in New England, and that's what caused him to struggle last year and look look a little older than he is. So I'm not saying Tom Brady is a long-term option by any stretch, but if you're the Dallas Cowboys in a pretty bad division, if you could sign Tom Brady for a year or two, he might take you deep in the playoffs. You know, because he's the most clutch quarterback I've ever seen. And you don't need him to go out there and throw for 5,000 yards because you can control the line of scrimmage and run the football with the best running game in the NFL. Um, you got a new head coach. They might actually do that this year. So, to me, Tom Brady to Dallas makes sense. And if it fails miserably and, I don't know, you only win like three or four games, you have a high pick next year and you're going to get you a quarterback coming out of the draft. To me, it's a no-lose situation because this Dallas team, I'm not sold on Dak Prescott either at quarterback, and Dallas will always be a middle-of-the-road team as long as Dak is playing quarterback. They'll never be a true Super Bowl contender because I'm not sold on Dak being an elite-level passer. No disrespect to him. I think he's a baller, makes plays with his legs. He's, he's able to make some things happen, but I don't believe in Dak like I believe in a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, or Aaron Rodgers, or Drew Brees, or whoever you want to put there. I don't believe in Dak like that. Um, so I think Tom Brady to Dallas makes sense. The other place, in my opinion, that makes sense is Tampa. You know, Tampa Bay, if you look at this football team last year, their defense really stepped it up over the second half of the, of the season. So they really played some solid defense. But the problem is Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions last year. Now, you know, 
you could say, well, the guy's a young quarterback. He's developing. But I don't think they're looking to make that type of long-term commitment in Jameis, especially having three, four years under his belt already. You know, just listening to Bruce Arians, the head coach, speak about Tampa, what he's saying is that he's more committed to keeping that defensive unit together, which plays so well toward the end of the season, and that's his priorities. So without saying it, Jameis Winston is not a priority in Tampa, at least resigning him anyway. So you look at the offensive side of the ball in Tampa, you had 2,000-yard receivers. At one point, Mike Evans and Godwin was second and third in the NFL in receiving yards. They was on the trail of Mike Thomas, both of them. So you give Tom Brady those type of weapons and a solid defense, you know, and Tom Brady don't seem like the cold weather type of brother anymore anyway. You, you know, if he leaves New England, I can see Tom Brady on the beach, you know, in some tropical weather. I, I don't think he just leaves New England for another cold weather town. So I can see Tom in Tampa. It just makes sense to me. So don't be surprised if you see Tom Brady in the NFC next year. As, as a Saints guy, I would hate to see him in Tampa. But just looking at things objectively, it makes sense. So I would say Tampa or Dallas, but that's just me. Well, I'm going to stay in the NFL for a little while. And the combine is upon us. And you know what that means for me. You know, I'm always interested in checking out some of these athletes checking out who goes where. I'm always interested to see what my Saints are going to do. So I love this time of the year. But what's the most interesting storyline for me is somebody who isn't even participating in the combine this year, right? So obviously the first pick of the draft this year is going to be Joe Burrow to the Cincinnati Bengals. He deserves it. Big up LSU. You know, that that's almost a foregone conclusion at this point. But what I really want to talk about is maybe the most powerful player in this first round has to be the Washington Redskins at the second pick. So the reason why they're the most powerful player is because Tua Tagovailoa, his stock is shooting through the roof. You know, I guess it all depends on his health. But from what I'm hearing He's ahead of schedule, and he's going to be healthy, and all the doctors and experts are expecting him to have a long-term career in the NFL. And you got guys like Todd McShay, speaking of Tua, to where if his health was 100% you know, healthy or his health was a given, that he would rather have him than Joe Burrow. So it's a quarterback-driven league. Tua could fall number two to the Redskins, right? And we've seen it before. We've seen last year, we saw Kyler Murray get drafted when they drafted Josh Rosen the year before, you know. So just because the Redskins drafted Dwayne Haskins last year doesn't mean they won't take a quarterback in the first round this year, right? You know, they got a new head coach. They're changing all kinds of stuff in Washington. I don't know what can happen. But I'll say this. The Redskins are in prime position. So, you know, you got a couple guys on the roster. You got Dwayne Haskins. You also got Alex Smith coming back. Remember that. Alex Smith is the guy who was in Kansas City that played a whole year with Patrick Mahomes sitting behind him. So if you don't think two is healthy, you could play Alex Smith for a year and trade Dwayne Haskins. Instant value, you know. 
Dwayne Haskins is a guy that's proven himself to have a big arm. He, he improved as the year went on. I think Dwayne Haskins could be a good quarterback in this league as well. So he has trade value. Um, but what I think the Washington Redskins are going to do, you know, knowing that they have all the options in the world, I think somebody like the Miami Dolphins makes a play for that second pick because you got the Detroit Lions sitting at number three, and they were talking about taking two of you know. Now, granted, they have Matthew Stafford, you know, one of the most, one of the best statistical quarterbacks of all time, but they haven't been too successful with Matthew Stafford at the helm. So it's possible that the Redskins could say, hey, Dwayne Haskins is our guy. You want Tua? Make us an offer. The Miami Dolphins have multiple picks in the first round. Matter of fact, they have three picks in the first round, right? So it's possible the Redskins could say, hey, look, you want Tua? You can have him. Give me those three first-round picks. You can have Tua Tiger Valor right now. The Redskins could do that, you know. And in the NFC East, that to me is wide open. Obviously, you would think Dallas is the favorite because they're the most talented. But you never know what happens in that division. You could do a lot with three first-round picks, especially in a draft like this where I don't, it's wide receiver heavy. You can get Dwayne Haskins some weapons. So, in my opinion, the most intriguing thing about this draft, it was happened in this second pick. You know, if I was a betting man, I would think the Redskins would would move down, take those three picks from the Dolphins, or whoever wants to offer them a lot for that second pick. Bet on Haskins, get the guy some help, and build around him. Because think about it. Ron Rivera is a is a defensive guy, Riverboat Ron, you know, played linebacker on those 85 Bears teams. Great defensive mind. He might be looking at Chase Young. That, that's something that he might be able to do, Chase Young out of Ohio State, and still get some offensive help by trading down. So I'm very, very interested to see what happens. I think they trade down, but don't be surprised if the Redskins take Tua with that second overall pick. So I'm going to go ahead and slide over to the hardwood right quick. And I'm going to talk about one of the most exciting teams in the NBA right now, the New Orleans Pelicans. And with about 25 games left, the New Orleans Pelicans are three games behind the Memphis Grizzlies, who they own the tiebreaker with for the eight and final seed in the Western Conference playoffs. And, you know, I know what you're thinking. You say three games back, 25 games to go. That's that's a tall order to catch somebody, right? But if you take into consideration what the Pelicans have been doing as of late and their schedule, I think it's not only a possibility, but it's a probability that they overtake the Portland Trail Blazers and the Memphis Grizzlies and get to that eight and final playoff spot, you know. Because I, I told you they got 25 games left. But they only have six games against teams with a winning record. So that means they have 19 games left with a, against teams with a sub-500 record. That's number one. That's very, very favorable. 
And if you watch this New Orleans Pelicans team as of late, this is a very good basketball team. You know, I know you're looking at the record and you're thinking about they lost something like 13 in a row earlier, but they wasn't healthy, you know. And everybody's like, well, Zion wasn't healthy. No, it wasn't just Zion, you know. Lonzo Ball missed some games due to injury. Brandon Ingram missed a couple games due to injury, you know. Derek Favors missed some games from injury and personal reasons. So this team is peaking at the right part of the season, and they're healthy. And because they're healthy, they have balance and depth. I mean, if you look look at this team, look, think about this roster, right? The starting five, you got Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Derek Favors. A very balanced starting five. Drew Holiday has been the consummate professional for years. He's been the leader of the team. Brandon Ingram is an all-star. He's getting about 25 points a game. He looks like he could be that closer, that alpha individual on the team. Lazo Ball has groomed into a nice young point guard. He's able to hit the open shots for the first time in his career. And the jump shot takes Lonzo's game to another level. Because now you have quality big men. You got favors and you also have Zion. And I know what you're thinking. The big man is getting phased out. Well, that might be true in a lot of cases. But once you throw that ball into Zion, the defense collapses into him. Now, I know he's turned the ball over a little bit. But that's because he's young. He's still getting acclimated to the NBA. But he has shown himself to be a very, very good passer. So I like when they throw the ball into Zion and he could kick it out for somebody open, right? Because I just told you Lonzo has improved his shooting. Drew Holiday was always a good shooter. Brandon Ingram's a good shooter. Then if you look at the bench, the first three people you got on the bench is Josh Hart, J.J. Reddick, one of the best shooters in the game, and you got Melly. So there's a lot of shots going up and it's high percentage jump shots against 19 teams with a losing record I like this Pelicans team they shoot the ball pretty good they could get rebounds they defend really well they they play at a high pace they run they got young legs and these guys have been injured so now that they're healthy they haven't been playing the whole season they're going to be fresh this Pelicans team is going to be a force down the stretch of the season and look for them to really get into this eighth seed and face off the Lakers. And I'll be honest with you. I know they lost three in a row against the Lakers, and I'm not saying they go beat the Lakers in the series, but the way they've been able to compete with the Lakers, especially what I saw from them the other night, they lost to the Lakers by nine. LeBron James was really good, obviously. You know, I thought AD was okay, but... The Pelicans turned the ball over a lot. They shot themselves in the foot, and that was in Staples. If they could clean that up a little bit, I think they played well enough to prove to themselves that they could compete with the Lakers, right? I'm not saying they'll beat the Lakers in the series. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that at all because, you know, when you have the experience and the savvy of a LeBron James, that does a lot for your team, right? But there's no way the Lakers sweep the Pelicans. I don't think they do. You know, with them being 100% healthy, now if somebody gets injured, all bets are off. 
But with the team as constructed, 100% healthy, I do not think the Lakers will sweep the Pelicans. I just don't. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do toward the stretch. I think they'll get in and get that number eight seed. And, you know, I think the series with the Lakers would be interesting because I'd be shocked if the Lakers don't get that number one seed. So I'm going to shift to a team on the hardwood I'm not so excited about anymore, and that's the LSU Tigers. Now, they started off conference play on fire. They started out 8-0, and I was a little concerned about the team because they seemed like they would get out to a big lead, then they would lose the lead, and they would win a close game at the end. They did that for about six or seven of those first eight games they won in SEC play, you know. Um, there were two major downfalls to this team, in my opinion. Number one, the biggest issue is their depth. You got mainly seven players that play. Um, now, Coach Wade is trying to expand his rotation as of late, but it's still not enough depth on this, on this LSU team to really make a serious run because if you look at them, they look tired, you know. The last game I watched against Florida, you know, in the swamp, they looked terrible, you know, to say the least. They trailed all 40 minutes. You got guys that's normally reliable. Skylar Mays played 31 minutes, scored three points. You know, Javante Smart played 37 minutes, scored eight points. And that's your starting backcourt. 11, 11 points between the two. That's not going to get it. You know, and those guys have been better than that the, the most of the year, but they're logging big minutes, you know. So between LSU's depth and their lack of a true point guard, that's really, really shown to be an issue for these Tigers as of late. You know, I mentioned they started out 8-0 in conference play, but the last seven games they're 2-5. So they went from being a lock for the NCAA tournament so now they're on the bubble, you know. I think they still get in, but you're looking at like an 8-9 seed, and those guys don't usually last too long in the tournament because let's say you're fortunate enough to win that first game as an 8-9 seed. Okay, great. Your, your reward for winning is the number one seed in that particular bracket, you know. That's a hard road. I'm not saying that they can't get it done. But what I am saying is their depth or lack thereof is going to hamper them. And the more basketball they play, the more of an issue is going to be. So I'm not looking for this Tiger team to be successful. I hope that I'm wrong, but I don't see them having a, a long March Madness run. But once you get in the tournament, everything, anything can happen. But I really don't see them going deep in this tournament at all. But I want to take a second to talk about Coach Wade. You know, last year there were some issues with Coach Wade as far as, you know, not knowing if he had done everything ethically. You know, he was under NCAA scrutiny, for lack of a better word. You know, they were investigating him. And I was the biggest Will Wade supporter. I was like, well, look, this guy could coach basketball. He's a brilliant mind. He cares about his guys. You know, 
whatever happens, I think Will Wade deserves another shot no matter what's transpired. I was the biggest Will Wade supporter. Well, this year, not so much. And it's not that I don't think he's a brilliant coach. And it's not that I don't think he deserves the job that he's in. That's not that at all. He's criticizing his players in the media. You know, he he's he's pointing guys out, hey, that guy keeps making the same mistake. What do you expect me to do? You know, if I had other people to play, I would play other people. Those are some of the things he said in the media. And for me, as a leader, as a coach, that's sending the wrong message. You're already struggling. Your team is already, the rotation is already short. And now you're saying that you don't have players? If you're one of the guys that's coming to practice every day and working hard, and you're not in that rotation, why would you continue to go to practice? You know, like what are you saying to your team, Will Wade? And then you're singling guys out? To me, that's a recruiting issue. You know, and don't get me wrong. Guys could be corrected. Any athlete that you talk to, no matter what level they play, whether they played on from a from a, a kiddie level all the way to a professional level, you keep in-house business in-house and you talk to your players behind closed door. You got something to tell them, tell them. But when you're in the media criticizing them, that doesn't do well. So I'm concerned that Will Wade is losing this 2019-2020 LSU basketball team. You know, the record would suggest that that could be a possibility when you start out 8-0 in SEC play, now you're 2-5 in your last seven. And they just looked awful last game. So I hope they pull it together. But I don't expect them to do well down the stretch, but we'll see. All right, I'm going to keep things local. You know, since the last time I talked to you guys, Drew Brees had made an announcement saying that he's going to, he's back, he's going to give it another run, and he won't retire. He's going to be the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints next year. You know, last time we talked, we discussed the possibility of Drew retiring and Teddy Bridgewater being the starting quarterback, or if Drew came back, that the Saints would almost for certain lose Teddy Bridgewater. And uh that looks like the, that looks like that's the case right now. Um I thought Drew should have retired. I'm a big Drew Brees fan. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. I just think his arm strength is on a serious decline. And I think the Saints would be better served moving on with Teddy Bridgewater. Um I appreciate Drew for everything he's done. So it's not like I'm ready to just throw him away. But at the same time, how many years can you sacrifice the future of the organization for one more year of Drew? You know, so Drew is back. My only thing, I hope the Saints run the ball more. I think the play calling was a lot better when Teddy played. You know, so if the if Sean Payton calls the same type of plays as he did when he went 5-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater as the starter, with Drew Brees, they'll be fine. You know, Drew is still a capable quarterback. I just don't think he's good enough anymore for the Saints to ride him like they've been doing over the years. You know, this isn't 2011 Drew Brees who had possibly the most underrated, maybe the best season for a quarterback ever. 
Um, but he's not that guy anymore. He's still a very good quarterback, but Sean relies, Sean Payton, that is, relies too much on Drew Brees and throws him way too much. When you have a very, very good running game, a guy like Latavius Murray, who's guaranteed almost five yards a carry, he don't get enough carries. So if they would call a similar type of play calling as they did when Teddy Bridgewater was playing and they went 5-0, and I think this team would be fine. You know, Drew Brees is not a scrub. Um, they'll be good. Now, they'll lose Teddy, um, which leaves you without a an heir apparent, you know, without a – without a contingency plan, without a future option on the roster. But they can do that in the draft, maybe late-round picks, maybe sign somebody in free agency. I don't know. Sean Payton's a very, very good quarterback coach. Um, they'll get that taken care of, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure. So they can still win maybe 10 to 13, 14 games this year with Drew Brees as quarterback. Um, but I'd like to see a little bit more balance in the offense. But what I'm tired of hearing – is I'm tired of hearing that Taysom Hill can be the heir apparent to Drew Brees and Taysom Hill could be a future franchise quarterback in this league. I'm here to tell you that he can't, right? And I've watched Taysom ever since he's got on the team. Taysom has a very, very strong arm. Taysom is athletic, but Taysom isn't a starter quarterback because he's not accurate. You know, he doesn't go through progressions. You know, even even the passes that he has thrown, they haven't been accurate. And it's not like he sat up there and read the defense. Either the deep ball was open or you tuck it and run. And then when he did throw the deep ball, it wasn't accurate. So, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to criticize Taysom Hill, right? Because I feel like what Taysom brings to the Saints football team is where his highest value is. So the fact that Taysom can throw the ball can't go out there and play tight end. He can run the ball. He can block. He can he can line up in the slot. He'll catch some passes. He, he's very, very good on special teams. He makes tackles. He can return kicks. Like, Taysom Hill could do everything that you imaginable on the football field. The only thing I haven't seen him do is kick the ball. And I think he probably could do that to a certain degree. But – you know, as a starting franchise quarterback, I just don't see it. I'm tired of hearing that narrative. There are people thinking that Taysom Hill would be a better long-term option than Teddy Bridgewater. Stop it. Teddy's way more accurate. Teddy's actually younger than Taysom as well. Taysom, his perfect fit, his perfect role on the team or on any team in the NFL is what he does now. You know, so... I like the fact that Taysom Hill's on the Saints, and I understand them trying to drive the narrative because from what I'm understanding, the Saints will place a first-round tender on Taysom Hill due to the fact that he's a restricted free agent. So for y'all that don't know what that means, what that means is if a team signs Taysom Hill, the Saints have two options. They have option one, to match whatever they, whatever that team is offering Taysom Hill for him to remain in New Orleans, or B, if that team does sign Taysom and they choose not to match, they'll get a first-round pick from that team. So that's a brilliant move for two reasons. Number one, 
you might want to sign Taysom Hill, but you may not want to give up a first-round pick for Taysom. So it makes teams hesitant to sign him from the from the beginning, and the Saints might be able to lowball him. Or if somebody does sign Taysom Hill and the Saints refuse to match, they get a first-round pick. So to me, it's brilliant, and I understand them pushing this narrative that Taysom Hill can be a starting quarterback in the NFL to kind of up his stock a little bit. So I get it. But if you actually think that Taysom Hill can be a franchise quarterback in the NFL, you're delusional. I'm just saying. And that's, that, that's all I got for y'all. Y'all know where to find me on my social media. You know, if you listen this long, hit subscribe, share this episode with a friend, and I'm out. <laughs>